You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Freedom of movement, the right to privacy. Both are concepts you've probably thought about a little bit differently since the lockdowns and civil liberty intrusions that started in 2020. Even farther back, if you really think about it. Well, our friends at privacypost.io have you covered of something that you're probably going to want to know about if you value both of those things. Privacypost.io is a privacy-by-default virtual mail and business center designed for the location-independent, expat, and international entrepreneur community. Anyone seeking financial freedom should consider PrivacyPost.io. Their services include virtual mail, a professional business address, privacy trust services, company formation, and a Portugal D7 residency and virtual domicile in the privacy-respecting and income-tax-free state of South Dakota. PrivacyPost.io protects you from third parties, overreaching government agencies, and complicit cloud-based platforms invading your personal, private, and business information. Privacy is freedom of association, expression, commerce, and mobility. Isn't it time you took it a bit more seriously? PrivacyPost.io is your partner in freedom. Go to PrivacyPost.io for more information today. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. It was probably a year ago this month, or I could be entirely wrong, but let's go with it, that I did an episode talking about the major lessons I learned while attending a military school. To catch some of you up who are new or may have forgotten, I attended a two-year military junior college, Marion Military Institute in Marion, Alabama also known as the place in the map all the people avoid when in Alabama. And uh, I, I had an experience there. You know, I got my commission in the U.S. Army National Guard. I got, uh, you know, my, my associates. I got a scholarship to go there and then a follow-up scholarship to go finish off undergrad elsewhere. I learned a lot. Got a six-pack. You know, it's good times. Good times and bad times. It was an experience like anything else. And uh, the music is so upbeat for what I'm about to get into. I don't know whether I should change my entire topic. That's what I love about this. Gives you the whole like club jazz theme. That's what I always try and start off all the episodes with. But uh, but 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 for real, for real. I want to talk to you about whether or not you can trust somebody probably wondering oh who pissed you off no nobody did but seriously let's let's talk about trust and let's talk about that episode that i did way on her back because everything connects everything matters in that episode i I spoke about your ability to trust somebody whether or not you know who they really are and when the chips are down will they be there for you and if they are there for you are they there as friend or foe. I wasn't even an officer in the in the military yet. I was just a cadet, and we were going through our first uh, 
um, long field training exercise together with uh, with the others in our battalion. And long story short, this one guy who was my first college roommate, um, he was what we would call in the military a spotlight ranger, a guy who looks like he has his shit together and always goes out of his way to remind you how much of his shit he has together. Well, you would have thought if you had just met this guy briefly, two things. One, either he's the most squared away person you've ever encountered. It's like he was grown in a test tube specifically for military service. Or if you got to spend an extra two minutes with him, you would have thought, holy shit, this guy is fucking stupid. Um, not going to sugarcoat it. There are a lot of morons in the military. Thankfully, this guy didn't get to stick around long. Maybe one day we'll get to that later. Uh, during our first field training exercise, we were in the woods. And the thing about MMI, which made it really a, a good place to train. I mean, I, I probably didn't appreciate this then, but I, I do appreciate it now. Is that, you know, the, the whole program, the whole school, it, it really went through a redesign in terms of how it was going to train cadets and stuff uh, during the Vietnam War. Because the whole purpose of the early commissioning program which pumped out officers in two years was to get people ready for uh, Vietnam. And they didn't just want, you know, regular officers. They wanted people that were ready to go straight into Vietnam. And, uh, you know, we used to call it little Vietnam because in the, in the training fields of MMI, it was, uh, it was dangerous. I mean, he had like freaking foxholes everywhere, little tiger traps that people would freaking make, you know, barbed wire everywhere. It was, it, it, it was a dangerous place, but it was a good place to train. And, um, this guy, my, my first roommate was our squad leader for Elaine. And during this time, what ends up happening is we're going through the woods, right? It's like, we're, we're feeling like we're uh, Willem Dafoe in Platoon. We're all just kind of like going through, looking for Charlie. Or because we were, you know, we were uh, products of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. We were, we were looking for the Taliban, Al-Qaeda. We were looking for, uh, you know, for a Haji and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the biggest part about this lane wasn't the fact that we had to go and perform an ambush on, you know, the on our op four who would be raiding us. It was also, you know, using a map, getting around the woods and stuff like that, trying to use, you know, the right techniques to not get noticed so easily by making all the noise and stuff like that. Well, one of the guys behind me ends up tripping and he falls and somehow moves so fast. He manages to get himself all like spun up in barbed wire. Um, and, and I think it's serpentino wire. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's nasty shit. It's like razor blades. It's, it's not fun at all. But somehow he, he stepped somewhere and he slipped and next thing you know, he fell into a pile of it and this dude screams and he is like, like he is freaking out. He's getting cuts and stuff, luckily because of what he's wearing and because he had his rucksack on him and you know, all the protective padding and, and helmet and eye gear. Luckily, like he wasn't too hurt, but it was, it was scary and quickly, we're all like, dude, just, just, just calm down. We're going to get you out of here because we're still being raided. This is, this is not one of those times where anywhere else in the world, people would stop and be like, okay, get them out. Let's all work together. Then we'll go ahead and restart. No. From the moment it starts, you are being raided on everything. Everything is graded. Everything is evaluated. Everything is criticized. So we're trying to, you know, 
get him out of there, me and a few other guys. And uh, my, my first roommate, our squad leader for this lane, he knows he's being timed. And uh, we got lost in the woods. And now this has happened, so he's lost, you know, a good amount of time. The guy comes over, and I shit you not, he says, just leave him. We got to finish the lane. And me and the other guys look at him, and we're like, dude, what, what happened to that whole, you know, thing we tell each other about no man left behind? This, this dude is trapped in freaking wire. We got to get him out of here. Then we'll finish the thing. He's like, no, he knows what we have to do. We have to leave. And the dude screams, fuck you. Get me out of here. And he's like, no, fuck you. We have to finish this lane. And me and the other guys look at squad leader and we're like, no, fuck you. We're getting our battle buddy out of here. Long story short, we end up barely completing the, the mission. And our uh, senior evaluator comes over and he's just yelling at us because we, we sucked out a lot of stuff. But uh, he really really nailed our squad leader for basically saying we should leave a, a soldier behind. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. And, you know, we, we had to get through the next couple days, but after that, nobody ever trusted this guy ever again. And why should we? That's a very deliberate decision. If he's willing to leave you behind in a situation like that, that's dangerous, even in a simulated training environment. What would he have done in actual combat? That was the stuff going through our heads. And that was one of my first exposures to buddy fuckers. People who have your back one minute, but will fuck you over But if it means they get to protect theirs. I promised, new year, new me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do as much cursing, but I... I, I really want to set the stage and paint that picture because once that trust is broken, once you see somebody for who they are, you should believe them. A good friend um, shared that quote with me. I don't know if it was Harriet Tubman or somebody else, but it was uh, it, it, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And I thought it was just flowery, flowery language until I really began to think about it. And yeah, that's, that's probably one of the most true things that, uh, that can be said about people. When they show you who they are, believe them. Because we've probably got people in their own lives who maybe we were a bit iffy about, and then they did something that either made them look really good or really bad, but it came from a genuine moment. It hurts a bit differently when it's coming from somebody that you trust and really have some care for, and uh, they, they break that image. They break that trust. You have to wonder whether or not it can ever be repaired. I believe in forgiveness, but I don't believe in blanketly allowing somebody the opportunity to completely screw you over again if that opportunity for trust has not been earned. I'm not saying that once trust has been broken, never give them another, another shot, but then that brings the question, how many times have you knowingly forgiven somebody who you know is not good for you, and then they break your trust over and over and over again? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, one, fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, as George W. Bush would say, 
you don't, you don't fool me again. This is about that repeated failure, that repeated disappointment, the repetition of deliberate action that lets you know that this person is not going to be there for you. Looping in to the title of today's episode, Post-Libertarian. I don't think I've done an episode like this in the history of On the Run. When I started this show, I started it very deliberately with the intention of having a very non-political show on a political network. But because you bastards are just so thirsty for this type of stuff, and because I've been quiet for so long about it, I thought, I would jump into it. Now, for the normies, I apologize. I hope you benefit from this as well. If you want to understand what the libertarian community, the liberty movement is like, it's a lot about self-segregation, finger-pointing, and reoccurring disappointment. I did a show called The Remster Republic, The Remster Martinez Experience, as it was later rebranded, for years, talking about the most niche political conversations you would ever imagine about things that mattered to virtually nobody, yet a lot of people really enjoyed it because I was serving a very narrow community of very hyper-engaged people about libertarian topics regarding economics, philosophy, politics, you name it. We covered it, covered the news all the freaking time. And as years went by, things changed. And then On the Run came about, and we changed. And I told you that I'm not going to talk about conversations I've already had, and I'm not going to pretend to be enthusiastic about conversations that other people are more enthusiastic about because it's disingenuous to you, and it's not fun for me. But I think it was about six months ago the term post-libertarian broke out in the libertarian community. Uh, my good friend and co-host at the Second Book Comics podcast, my mentor, my business partner, uh, one of the best dudes I know, Mark Clare, really started being, you know, no pun intended, the, uh, the lion that led the charge for what is now being considered the post-libertarian movement. People like Pete Quinones from the Pete Quinones Show, Matt Erickson from Kingpilled and a bunch of other um, you know, popular people online in the libertarian sphere started throwing this term around. And long story short, and I apologize if I'm watering it down too much, but I don't want to get too much in the weeds on what it means specifically. But what it means is that you are a libertarian who is opting out of what I will call the simulation. Long story short, you're a libertarian that understands that you're not going to vote your way to freaking freedom. And what it has turned into is a schism within the libertarian movement of people who support the libertarian party. And what I'll say is, you know, participating in the political process at large. And then the rest of us that want to freaking survive. The catalyst for this were the lockdowns of 2020 were the pandemic protocols that have not left us. The lockdowns, the vaccine passports, mask policies, the boosters, everything that has come with the social ostracization of people that questioned corporate lies, media spins, 
and government cover-ups regarding everything that has happened. Yet for some weird reason, you have a lot of people, and I'm talking specifically to my libertarian friends, you have a lot amongst us who still pretend that we're in 2019. Even worse, we're still in 2012. Guys, I've got a, I've got a crazy meme that's gone viral. Guys, let's go ahead and do a money bomb for Gary Johnson. Guys, let's go ahead and just, you know, dogpile on someone on the internet comments. Somehow it got to the point where people cared more about how they could virtue signal amongst each other. Ineffective people with no influence on any realm of their own life, their own community, to anybody. But they wanted to go ahead and be the cool kid at the special ed table. It might sound cruel, but that's the only way I could put it. That's how many of you look. That's why my show's not as big as it used to be. Because I stopped catering to people who are ineffective, who don't communicate, who don't get anything done, who are not even worthy of respect. Contrary popular belief, not all opinions are worth listening to. A lot of them don't freaking matter. Well, Remzo, why do yours do? Because whether you agree with me or not, what I've established over the last 10 years is the fact that I've been on the ground level of this. I was knocking doors for candidates when nobody in the state of Virginia wanted to do anything with the Libertarian Party. I was managing primary campaigns in closed and open primaries for candidates who led a strong constitutionalist, strong pro-liberty message in races where no one wanted to ever upset the apple cart because this is as good as it gets. Why are you primarying that guy? Yeah, he sucks on everything, but he's gone this one thing. And do you want a Democrat? What's wrong with you? I drove across the country walking in the rain trying to get people to sign petitions. I dedicated my entire life to grassroots activism. To even being in the realm of the media, trying to change things from there. I've done everything you can imagine for this movement. I was broke for it. I was willingly and intentionally poor for it. So I could give all my time and all my energy and all my resources into people who, while they may have had good intentions, were never incredibly serious about the possible outcomes. I remember giving so much of my money to Gary Johnson and Bill Weld in 2016 because a part of me for a brief moment in time actually thought they could change America. Foolish. Foolish. I went ahead and metaphorically laid down on barbed wire for people who wouldn't even look down to thank me as they stepped on my back to get across. Now, that's politics as a whole. Um, Targeting the LP a lot. A lot of Republicans I worked for did the same thing. It's not simply a party or a person. It's a process. Now, some people I was incredibly proud to work for. 
Tom Garrett of Virginia being one of them. One of the most liberty people I've ever worked for, who did a lot in a very short-term amount of time. I've been able to give platforms to people who would have otherwise never had an opportunity. I've been able to help people accomplish amazing things. But I had far fewer victories than I would like to admit. And I always thought that even if you could win one battle and change somebody's life, it was worth it. But then, when the pandemics came around and the riots came around, that was an IQ test for libertarians. That was an IQ test for people to see whether or not they could even break out of the simulation set forth by our civil institutions that are controlled by progressives. And I'm sorry to say, but we failed. We didn't just fail America. We failed the freaking world. And we failed ourselves. And a very, very scary truth came out. It's that when a person has to worry about whether or not they're going to have enough toilet paper or food available, when a person thinks that you not wearing a mask is the equivalent of violence, when people start saying it's okay for you to go ahead and destroy some neighborhoods because of some political agenda, that's when you've lost. There are no moderates in today's day and age. Neutrality means nothing now. Because whether you say it does or not, whether you believe in that or not, the truth is is that your actions have led to the outcomes of not just the lives of those around you, but your own. And no, this isn't the silence is violence bullshit. This is whether or not we were prepared for a time when totalitarianism was not just a foreign threat staring at us from across the sea, but a very deliberate action taking place in front of you here at home. To be post-libertarian is not to give up on liberty, not to give up on the values of freedom, individual autonomy, free exchange, volunteerism. It's to admit that the default state of man is not a craving for freedom, but a craving for subservience, to choose security over freedom. That is the world we're living in. You were already a strange type of person if you ever called yourself a libertarian. That's just the truth about it. You don't, you're not born one. Rarely do you become one very early on. It's not just a different way of voting. It's a different way of thinking. It's saying that the world around us is not right and that you're not willing to simply go along with it. Now, 2020 came, and uh, you know a lot of people, I'll, I'll use her for example, Joe Jorgensen, a lot of people defended her, changed all your Facebook profile pictures to vote for Joe, and you're tweeting about her, and you're probably phone banking for her and giving her your money. What did she do? Rarely ever spoke about how destructive the lockdowns were. 
but she was going ahead and, you know, soft pawing Black Lives Matter, people that were never going to vote Libertarian, but she might, you know, may, maybe get an interview on the MSNBC, which she never did. She had so much to appeal to people that hate you that others criticized you when you wouldn't go support her. And you're hoping that she would make more libertarians, that she would change the conversation. She didn't even, she didn't even do any of that. There's a reason why Spike Cohen's so popular. It's because Joe did the minimum and the man went above and beyond, but here's the thing. I'm glad to see Spike Cohen, a good man, continue to do what he's doing. But nothing Spike Cohen has done has changed my life. Some of you might say, well, you know, I'm here because of a guy like Spike. Good for you. My life is not any better. And it's not a criticism of him. He has nothing to do with it. But it's exactly that. He has nothing to do with it. As many of you know, 2020, most of 2021 was a very rough period for me. When the chips are down, you see who your loyal friends are. When the chips are down, you really begin to assess what matters for you. And that is when the realization came that the only person who's going to save you is yourself in that situation. When it comes to your health, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your ability to move and live as you want to, because you're going to be a peaceful person who doesn't want to hurt people, take their stuff, or intrude on their lives. Somehow to be peaceful became a radical position. And then that's when the libertarian sphere started talking about this idea of the post-libertarian. Because people started understanding that, you know, we could, we could put up these candidates and we could have this party and we could do all this shit, but it's not doing anything. And they had some people, well, let's form a caucus and let's try and make, as I put it, the most ineffective political machine in history slightly less ineffective. And, and everyone's giving each other's titles and roles and they're getting in their group chats and they're sharing all their memes and shit, holding a couple fundraisers. We're, we're, we're going to go ahead and take back dog catcher in this city and next thing you know, we'll have... The presidency. Show me a libertarian city. Show me a victory that's even worth being proud of. Of those very few victories, show me one that has drastically led to an increase in freedom in the last two years in some community anywhere. Some of you are going to try and find an example and send it to me. I know them. I already know them. I'm not bringing them up because they don't really freaking matter anymore. They don't. The post-libertarian understands that what we're living right now is the greatest simulation a man can live in. It's an understanding that the system is not meant to work for you, that to play by the rules, the system writes, is to play against your own hand. And at the end of the day, as much as you may trust it, it inherently does not trust you. And that just does not go for how our government works. 
That's how it is in corporate America. That's why we're seeing the formation of a parallel economy. A, a, a post-libertarian understands that to really opt out of the system means creating your own systems, creating that parallel economy, opting out of fiat, opting out of the services that are intentionally working against you while making you independent at the same time to weaken you. The post-libertarian understands that we're not going to see a George Washington anytime soon. We might not even have a Reagan moment if we were lucky. But it could be a Han Solo. It could be a Howard Rourke. It could be a John Galt. It could be a Jack Sparrow. No, I'm not saying live in the woods like the Unabomber, become a criminal. But look at the libertarians who are living genuinely free lives. Look at John Mackey, founder of Whole Foods. Man almost ran for president as a libertarian. He's advocating for Bitcoin. He has lobbyists in D.C. advocating for projects that will not only make his life better, but will make your life better as a result. Look at people like Andrew Tate, whether you like him or not, because he's one of those machismo manosphere guys. Look what a dude who grew up in poverty was able to go on and do with his life, whether you agree with his methods or not. Libertarians went online when uh, Joshua Smith from, uh, from uh, you know, Joshua Smith, Smith's show um, he went ahead and retweeted something by Andrew Tate. And all these people with Libertarian in their Facebook banner immediately attacking him. Oh, you know, he had webcam girls and he hit, he hit a person and he was a fighter and he said all these mean things that, like, depression isn't real. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Andrew Tate didn't have to wear a freaking mask to go fly. Andrew Tate was able to travel the world when borders were closed. Whether you like him or not, what you cannot say is that the man did not achieve his own freedom. Now, the post-libertarian understands another inconvenient truth. It's that the one person that can deliver you the most maximum freedom in your life is you. And it will only come through your own ability. And you might not like hearing it. But if you're not achieving that, the only person you can blame is yourself. I'm not saying that as an insult, but that's just how it is. If you work one job, get only one source of income through that job, you have debt and belong to the bank, you don't have the ability to move because you're trapped somewhere because that job is only something that you can do there, and let's say you're easily replaceable and then you're worried that it might get automated away or outsourced or something else, so you stay there and you work really hard for the same amount of money and everything else, understand you're trapped. That's why on this show we talk about why freedom of movement matters. That's why we talk about why you need to develop multiple streams of income. The post-libertarian understands that, yeah, I'm not saying that everyone is going to become a you know, CEO overnight and become a business owner. But at least be the CEO of your own career. At least develop the rare and specialized skills so that way 
You can make money with the greatest equalizer. You can make money with the greatest equalizer in the world, the internet. The post-libertarian thinks global. They focus local, but they don't get so blindsided and narrow-sided that they ignore the things they can control and focus on the things they can't, like many people do. The post-libertarian is active. The post-libertarian is taking direct action in their own life because they understand that freedom will not be given and you cannot vote your way towards it, especially now. With all this to say, because I do want to wrap it up and keep it nice and tight, am I going to start calling myself post-libertarian? No. All these people throwing out all their special hyphenated names, I haven't given a shit about that in years. But to say they are wrong is just incorrect. And you could be as hopeful as you want and you can have as many great Facebook speeches as you want. But what I remember is this. When it was time to knock doors, it was me. When it was time to make the phone calls for phone banks, it was me. When it was time to go collect the signatures. I don't remember really anyone else out there with me. All you thousands, all you potentially millions. Where were you when they started arresting gym owners? Where were you when they were forcing masks on your children? Where were you when your, when your own communities were being burned down? Where were you when employers were being told to get rid of the employees that will not force something into their bodies that they do not want? Somebody always takes it personal when you talk that way. Well, here I am. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm asking because I'm genuinely curious. And then here's my next question. How much of your own freedom have you taken back in your own life? And is it something that you can show others how to repeat so maybe they can break out of the simulation themselves? Post-libertarian, black-pilled, I don't care. The only title I want you to care about is being a free man. Is the mindset I have if anything, I'll say I think I was post-libertarian before it was cool. But uh, that's all I got, folks. Promise we won't do stuff like this all the time. But some things you just got to say. Some conversations you can't always ignore. But I'm hoping you enjoyed it, whether it's the type of stuff you're into or not. And I look forward to talking to you later in the week. Be good, be safe, good night. Good night.